I first of all want to thank the worship team. Love that. Thank you, worship team. And just the fact that they're drawing our eyes to Jesus. I'm so thankful for Sharon and the fact that she's drawing our eyes to Jesus and his story. That, that really is the message uh, that we see in this section of the scripture together. You guys, something crazy is about to happen in a week and a half. I'm about to blow your mind, so hang in there. My granddaughter's going to turn one. I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, I, I, I love it. Uh, I'm so thankful for my granddaughter. She started walking at about nine months, talking. She's enrolled in some debates. She's reading volumes of books. Uh, okay, maybe the last part isn't quite true, but she's doing some neat stuff, and it's fun just watching her grow, and uh, I, I love being a grandpa. This has been a lot of fun for me from a variety of ways, but one way that she is like me is that uh, we, we just don't go to sleep. Like, we don't sleep a lot, and uh, she, she doesn't sleep a lot. And when she's around, or I'm with them, I get the opportunity to hold little Miss Kennedy when she won't sleep, and I love it. You know, you just kind of hop, put her up over there, and she's got her face kind of buried in slobber all over my shoulder. I love it. I love just patting her, patting her back, and sometimes uh, I'll, I'll recite a scripture. Sometimes uh, I'll sing a song to her. And one of my favorite songs that I love to sing to her, uh, I should say this, she also loves that I sing to her. She's not discerning in terms of vocal range, but uh, she seems to love it. And um, anyways, I'll, I'll just pat her and as I'm singing to her. I'll, I'll sing that song, uh, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I love to sing that to her as I'm patting her. She seems to like it too. But my hope is something greater. That song was sung to me when I was little. And through the years, I'll tell you that that song has come up in my mind many times. Sometimes when I felt alone. Sometimes when I was isolated. Sometimes when it just seemed like the world was against me. I was reminded Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I would say that God used that maybe dozens, perhaps hundreds of times in my life because it was something that was etched in me, it was imprinted on me early, that message. And that's my hope when I'm singing that to little Miss Kennedy. That's my hope that if ever there was a day where that little girl just like, I'm not sure, <laughs> she can go, Jesus loves me, this I know. Ah, I want that. There's something powerful about etching things into our minds through repetition, sometimes through song. But it's nothing new. Like, this has been done for thousands of years. In fact, uh, we're, we are in Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, we're going to be reminded of that. Jesus is going to refer to something that is etched in the souls of every Jewish boy and girl in the first century. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so it goes. It was a daily prayer. And it was a daily prayer that was imprinted onto their hearts to be a reminder. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I hope that you're ready as we continue this series. Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai is a reminder. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the one thing that connects this whole series together is this God who comes in the flesh, who is blessed in the name of the Lord. And what you will see over and over again in this section from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 16 is that Jesus, it's as if he is grabbing their faces and going, no, 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 you're looking down, you need to look up at God. Nope, you're looking down, you need to look up at God. You need to be reminded Uh, of the foundational things, and we see that in this passage in some significant ways. Let me share where we're going. We're going to look in Mark chapter 12. We'll start in verse 28, go through 34. In that section, we're going to see the ideal example, what Jesus really wants. We'll see it. He's going to spell it all out. Then we're going to skip a section, but that specific section, Jesus is identifying, so he moves into another teaching uh, area where he is teaching a crowd, and while he's teaching a crowd, he's reminding them of who he is, that, that he actually isn't under David, he is above David. He has the authority to speak on behalf of God, because actually he, he is God, he is the one who's blessed, because he comes in the name of the Lord. And then we go to these examples, the next two examples, a negative example and a positive example. And these examples, as as you see them in real time, I want you to know that for the hearers in the first century, they're like, hmm, oh, wow, Uh, you caught me off guard with these. And I would just ask you to open your heart to the Lord today, that he may have something for you that is new or fresh, something that, that maybe we've missed And maybe we need to go back to the root of. Let's jump in. We're going to, first of all, talk about the ideal example, the foundation of love. Love your neighbor as yourself, and we'll see the scribe. Let's look at the passage. By the way, if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, we have some in the back. One of our staff members will be happy to bring you Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you because we believe in the Word of God, that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, that it has the power to give us life because it contains the words of God. Uh, We want you to have access to the Word of God. And so you might be saying, well, I, I have a Bible, I just don't have it with me. Okay, if you have a child or a spouse or a neighbor or a friend who doesn't have a Bible, You are welcome to give them this Bible. We would just ask one thing, and that is that you would give it to them. Don't mail it to them and hope they figure it out. You give them as a gift, and you tell them, let them know, this is a gift to you, and it's the Word of God, and we want you to have it. So uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will get you one. If you have your own, that's great. I strongly want to encourage you to get into the habit of bringing your Bible. It's wonderful to highlight, underline, Um, write notes off to the side. If you haven't brought your Bible and you have your device on you, that is great. Please, 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 for the love of God and all that is holy, please. Don't go to other apps. Stay where we're at. If you're opening up the scriptures, stay, stay, stay on the scriptures. Fair Fair enough? 
All right. Thank you, friends. Well, let's jump in. We're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 28 and walk through it as we go. Uh, Just again, a reminder. Last week, there were Pharisees and Herodians, and they were trying to trick Jesus, right? Like, whose image is on it? Like, where should we pay our taxes? And Jesus, again, takes their faces, stop looking at the world, and look up here. And, and he does that by telling them whose, whose image is on it. Well, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Then he comes up with a different group of people, the Sadducees. They were sad, you see, because <laughs> these people didn't believe that there is eternal life after death. It's pretty sad, you see. So uh, Sadducees, they didn't believe that there was a resurrection, And so this group of people who didn't believe in the resurrection, they confront Jesus and they give him kind of a trick story. (laughs) You're not going to trick God, FYI. But they try. And uh, Jesus says, uh, actually, the problem here is that you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That's the problem. And so from that point, there is a shift. And this is where we pick it up in verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Whoa, which command? Out of all these commandments, 612 commandments, are you kidding me? That is a lot of commandments. Which one is the most important? Like, let's, let's worry about the, the most important one. Which one is it? Okay, well, let me tell you. The one that is most important is this. Jesus says, most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's going in uh, to that which was imprinted on their hearts at an early age as they memorize the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus reemphasizes that. It would be as if Miss Kennedy sat down with me and she said, Pops, We're going with Pops right now. I don't know what she's going to end up calling me, but we're going with Pops. So she goes, Pops, uh, what is the most important thing? And I I might say something like this, that Jesus loves you. And and we can know that because the Bible tells us so. It would be as if that kind of imprint, like Jesus is going back to that point for them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. And he, he goes into the Shema. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, usually at this point, I will will start to talk about the term love. And I'll use phrases like this. I'll say, it's this kind of love that is being identified as non-transactional. It's different than other types of love that's communicated in the scriptures and, and specifically with the Greek language. It's, it's not a familial type of love like because you're family members. It's not a brotherly or friendly kind of love and it's definitely not an erotic kind of love. It's a different kind of love that is non-transactional. It's the kind of love that it, it doesn't matter if it's receiving love to love. It loves for love's sake. It is unconditional kind of love. And I usually share something like that. But I want to tell you that that just falls so short of what I'm trying to communicate. 
It would be as if we were all at the Grand Canyon and we came up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and I said, that's the Grand Canyon. And you'd go, yep, it is. And you might step back uh, because you don't want to be the edge. Yep, it's beautiful. I see it. That's wonderful. That's nice. But it is a different experience when you go down into the Grand Canyon and you go, this is the Grand Canyon. And you see the beauty and the wonder of it and and how amazing it is all around. You're like, you are experiencing the Grand Canyon, not just looking at it. The best I can do is help you to look at this kind of love. Uh, but you have to experience it. Now, now where do I get that? If, if you would do me a favor and hold your spot in Mark chapter 12, and go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, let me remind you some things about this love. The New Testament talks about it. First John talks about it. He says, uh, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And the way that he says it is like this, this foreign kind of love. Uh, you, you would never experience it in our culture. In this world, you would never get this foreign kind of love. It is dynamically different than anything you have ever seen or known. That's, that's how John identifies it. And then he actually takes it another step and he says, because God is love. This world doesn't have God. It, it doesn't have this love. Uh, God and love are not separated. They're, they're, this kind of love is attached to God because God is love. And in Ephesians, Paul is writing. And Paul is about to give his life for the sake of the gospel. He loves Jesus. Jesus has transformed him. And he has had a ministry to the churches. And he's about to give his life. And I would just ask you, like, if, if you were getting ready to give your life for the sake of the gospel, what would you want to tell a group of people who you care deeply for? Might you say something like, Okay, one thing, stay away from the Romans because they're going to throw you in jail and they might kill you, so stay away from them. You might, you might say something like that. Like, be safe, be wise, think it through. Maybe we would say stuff like that. But Paul uh, doesn't talk like that. He actually has two prayers in Ephesians, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 2, but it's the one in, or in chapter 3. It's the one in chapter 3 that I want to draw your attention to because it, it's very significant. He starts in verse 14. By the way, this won't be up on the screens. You'll need it on your, on your, in your Bible, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Uh, it's page 1094 in my Bible. Probably not in yours, but uh, just so you know. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, let's just start there. By the way, in Paul's time, that wasn't totally uncommon. If there was someone who had authority over you, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to kneel down, to get on your knees as a way of submitting, of saying, hey, I have respect for you, I submit to you. We don't do it in our culture like that, but they did in Paul's culture. And Paul is identifying this. He's saying that God is this God that we submit to, we surrender to him and his will. And in terms of this prayer that he's about to pray, watch the tone of it. Listen closely to the tone of this prayer. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a good prayer. 
right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's not just kind of this flippant, uh, well, we hope you're safe. We hope everything works out for you. You know, careful, stay strong. Nope. Uh, he says that you're rooted and grounded in love. This love is God. So the word picture here is you are planted in the soil, and this soil is God. And everything that comes, the fruit of your life that comes out, that is extended to others, is the fruit because you are grounded and rooted in this God, that his love indwells you and feeds you to give you this fruit onto others. That's, that's part of the dynamic that he's trying to communicate here, that we would understand the breadth and length and height and depth and then he says this, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. That surpasses knowledge. That, that's a good one. Again, I, I, can't, I, I can take you to the edge of the cliff, and I can show it to you, uh, but you have to experience it. It surpasses knowledge. It's more than just information. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. It is a spiritual engagement that we get from God rooted and grounded in him that we then can give to others as a part of the fruit of our life. And that is the prayer that Paul is giving. And then he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's not just that you're rooted and grounded, but that God is working through you and in you and that he fills you and to overflow that you're spilling Jesus on other people because of this love that you, that you dwell in. And so, in Mark chapter 12, this kind of love is the kind of love that we have, that we have received from God, that we give back to God, and then that goes to others. It's extended to others. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. <laughs> like, do these two. Fulfill this, watch and see. But the problem with fulfilling it is you, you can't fulfill it without God. Uh, you can't fulfill it without being rooted in him. And so if you're trying to be rooted in other things, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe it's uh, videos that we're watching, maybe it's games that we're playing, maybe, maybe it's uh, working a lot and being rooted in work. Like if, you're, if you're rooted in those places, then the fruit is going to be that. But God or Jesus is calling us to this different kind of lifestyle that only happens when we're rooted in him. He continues on. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. He is over all. There is no other God like him. There is no other God beside him. There is no other God before him. He is one. He's unified within himself. He, he doesn't struggle with decisions. He knows the right thing. He is one. And there is no, one, no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, here's why that perhaps matters. They're in Jerusalem during a time of a lot of sacrifices. And people are coming sacrificially to bring these sacrifices. Like they're, 
they're coming a long way with a lot of money to be able to purchase these animals to be sacrificed. There is a lot of noise going on, like their attention is on these sacrifices. And the scribe says, wait a minute, you know what is better than that? What you just said, Jesus. And, And what you just said is to love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. That is better than all of these offerings that are being offered right now. Josephus, around 70 AD, identifies during this time frame, just a little after this, that there are over 250,000 sacrifices going on in the temple during this time. It's a lot of animals. For that to not be the focus, that's a big statement, and, and we kind of miss it in our culture. Let's keep going in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, the term wisely is like he, he discerns deeply. Uh, he is correct in his thinking. He gets it. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That, that perhaps there's this, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. We read in Proverbs for both of those. And Jesus perhaps sees this in this man, that unlike others around him, unlike other religious leaders who seem to be focused on the stuff and things of this world, he rightly looks up to God and sees this, yes, we need to love God with our whole heart. I get what you're saying. I affirm that. Like, that's what I want in my life. And we should love our neighbors as ourselves based on that kind of love that we have received and we're given back and that we can now give that kind of love to others. Yes, I affirm that. And Jesus says, you're not, you're not far from this king, the kingdom of heaven. Like you're, you're getting it. Keep walking forward with this. Watch and see what God will do. And so Jesus moves from here to a group setting where he's doing some teaching. And in that teaching, he affirms his role as Lord. And the crowd looks at him with astonishment. They're in awe of this Jesus. Like, oh, man, he's, he's teaching in ways that we haven't heard. And then he's going to give a negative example of what he has just talked about. What is the ideal We would receive God's love and love him back with that love. That we would also extend that love to others. The kind of love that God gives us to others. (coughs) But in this setting, he's going to identify that the scribes are, that the set of scribes are hypocrites and they're exploiters. And there's a warning against it. Watch what happens. Watch how this unfolds as he gives a negative example. So positive example, love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. That primary, it's key. Here's the bad example. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Stop there. That doesn't sound so bad, right? Like, okay, so they dress up and go to town. That's not so bad. Oh, they're social people. They like to connect with others. That doesn't sound so bad. Um, Okay, they like to sit in the best seat. I've wondered in the synagogues in the first century if the best seats were in the back also like it is in church. I'm not sure how that that works. Uh, I I should look into that. Uh, That's at first blush. When we dig in a little deeper, uh, we, we start to see something. And here's, here's in part what that is. He 
he's dressing up in his best, his wealthy clothes, and he's identifying himself as wealthy. Now, that, again, may not sound like a big deal to you and me, but part of that culturally is to say, I, I've been blessed. Like I, God has really blessed me. And now look at all of the other people who are going without. What is the message that is being communicated there? What is the scribe saying about himself and what is implied to others? So he's dressing up. He also feels like he's a pretty big deal. He's a big deal. And he wants people to know that he's a big deal. And so people come up to him and go, hi, Mr. Big Deal. And he goes, oh, thanks. You're right. I'm kind of a big deal. And there's something going on with his heart. And his eyes, a person whose eyes should be fixed on God, are not fixed on God. They're fixed on the world. And Jesus is going to now explain what the problem is. So, uh, again, uh, they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. In other words, they're willing to take advantage, exploit widows, to take what is theirs that they can look good in front of others. They're willing to do that. Not just that, but then they would also pretend in front of God to others that they're something better than they really are. And Jesus says, now there is a greater condemnation for them. And part of that, we, we maybe don't fully understand uh, Jesus seems to have a special place in his heart for widows and the fatherless. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, and we'll look at verses 22 uh, through 24. The Bible, in about a dozen places in the Old Testament, talks about this issue of widows and fatherless. And I've, I've often wondered why. I, I'm I'm going to explain it here in just a second. Let's go ahead and just look at the passage. This is, as God has helped the children of Israel come out of slavery, and as they're going into the promised land, uh, he gives them some words of warning. These are the words of warning found in Exodus 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn, and I'll kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. That sounds pretty harsh, but like, it means something to God. And I, I, have, some, I have some beliefs here. Culturally, there was nothing that anyone was going to get out of being kind to a widow. Culturally, there is nothing valuable taking care of a fatherless child. Like... It, you're not raised in esteem. They're going to take from you. They're, you're not going to receive from them necessarily. Like, it, culturally. And maybe, maybe, God wants us to look a lot like him. There is no advantage for God, <laughs> except for to his glory, that I don't fully understand how it all works. But there is no real advantage for God to call us to himself. Like, oh, good. Kenny's on my team now. Yay. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know about that. But that we might have that kind of love that God has to take care of widows, a, a, a group that's vulnerable in that culture, a group that 
um, could lose everything or be taken advantage of in significant ways that we would actually not take advantage, but, uh, uh, but love them and care for them and put them in high esteem, that, that's different. And it seems that God's view is you should treat them like your own mother and you should treat those children like your own children. Because if you don't, that could be the case. Your spouse could be without, without you. Your, your child could be without you. And wouldn't you want them cared for? Like There's something serious about this. And God seems to have this value that, is, uh, that reflects his character in it. Non-transactional. Unconditional. Caring. Beautiful picture of God. But this is a negative picture, that these scribes would do this, that they would act this way. And for the hearer of the first century, it's like, these religious leaders do that? I, can't, I just always assumed they were, they were good, they were wealthy, they were blessed by God. No, they're acting this way. And now watch what happens. We're going to see some sacrificial giving. <laughs> Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. This is Jesus. And this was a common practice uh, in Jerusalem. They needed to take care of the temple area, the temple courts. Uh, Of course, you needed to update things. You needed to replace things. You needed to uh, care for the priests who were serving in those areas. So there was a need, a financial need for uh, for this ministry. And people would come and they would give towards this need. And this is what Jesus is watching. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. Let's pause there. So there is a By the way, okay, I'm stepping out from behind the pulpit here. This is is me, not not pastor. This is Kenny. And uh, the reason why I'm saying this is I look at this and I just wonder, like, did, did Jesus know this woman ahead of time? Did he, did he know her practice? Like, oh yeah, that's mom's friend Ruth. She always comes and does it. Like, she sacrificially gives. I love watching Ruth just, uh, Ruth just love the Lord and serve the Lord and care for God. And she doesn't care what's going on in the world around her. I just wonder if he had that kind of relationship with her. Maybe, maybe not, but it's fun to imagine And in this situation, there is this woman who is a widow. Perhaps she is aware that there are scoundrels around. Perhaps she doesn't really care that the Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees have been doing and planning Jesus' demise. Maybe she doesn't really care that the Herodians are around and they're just trying to prop up their king. Maybe she doesn't really care that Sadducees are just kind of missing the point. And maybe she doesn't really care that the scribes are taking advantage because her eyes aren't on the ground. They're, they're up to the Lord. And she gives sacrificially. You can almost hear the echoes of Jesus' prayer, the way that he taught his disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Like that's her heart. <laughs> Lord, I offer to you everything I have. You have it. You have access to it. You can have it. I serve you. I love you. And you'll take care of me. And maybe that's what we see in part in this. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. 
for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. You know, they're going through and, and perhaps they're saying, okay, well, what does my tithe look like? Oh, I've, I've given this much and uh, there are different ways that you could tithe and give and stuff. And so when everything's said and done, it's about 24% in general. And, and maybe they're, you know, looking at their books and they're going, oh, 24%. Okay, I can do that this year and this is how it works. And there is this widow lady who she's not going, what's 24% of nothing? Uh, what am I going to do here? Everything I have. That's what you, that's what I give to the Lord. And the Lord honors that. Let's do some quick compare and contrasting here. Let's look at the visibility, at the wealth. Let's look at Jesus' assessment of the situation. And so Jesus looks at the uh, scribe and he sees that the scribe is seeking visibility and recognition in society. His eyes are fixed on this world. Oh, if I could just get more recognition. Oh, there's so much satisfaction I can get in this world. There's so much significance I can get in this world. I can be secure in this world. And Jesus identifies that. With the widow, she acts quietly and without seeking attention. We would never know that this was going on in ancient Israel if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus camped out across from it, saw it, and pointed it out to his disciples. You can almost imagine this, like, humbly, almost embarrassed, like, oh, here you go, Lord, it's all I have, I love you. You can almost see it in her heart. How about the wealth? Well, the scribes, they accumulate wealth and are willing to exploit others to get it. But this widow, she gives sacrificially despite her poverty. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. How does Jesus assess it? He condemns uh, the scribe for hypocrisy and self-interest. His attention is on the world. But the widow, he commends her for sincere devotion and sacrificial giving because her her eyes are on God. Despite all of this other junk that's going on in the world, God, I give you this. So what do we do with it? I, I want to suggest a couple of action steps. Uh, the first one is pray that God would show you how to love like he loves. I'm not going to speak for God on this one, but I think he would probably welcome that. You want to know how to love like I love? I would love to show you how to love like I love. I, I'm not going to throw you in the deep end necessarily. Like, we'll get there. Let me just show you how, I, how you can love like I love. And you'll see these opportunities coming. Maybe you'll even be aware of these different ways that God has been loving on you in ways that you've missed out, you haven't considered or even received. And maybe in the midst of all of that, you go, wait a minute, this is God loving me actually. He loves me enough to give me this or to do this in my life or to allow this in my life. This God knows that it's going to take my face from this world and point me to him. What a good God. He loves me so much. And if we would start praying that way, maybe we'll start seeing how God is loving us, that we could then love others. And then that brings us to the second point. Seek opportunities to model this love. Maybe it's in our home. I would suggest start there. That's a great place to do it. To give this kind of love as you're grounded and rooted in God, in this love, as this God is filling you and the fruit is overflowing, that sacrificially and unconditionally, the God is loving you, you can love others. 
You can love them in your home. There'll probably be opportunities at work or at school or at the store. But God will do something for sure if we ask him. This is a time as we transition into communion that we have to, to just take a few moments and go, okay, God, like first of all, am, am I grounded and rooted in you, in, in your love? Or am I grounded and rooted in some other things? Am I more concerned about uh, work? Am I more concerned about image? Am I more concerned about security? What, like, what am I grounded and rooted in? And if it's anything other than God for us to repent, I'm going to confess that and repent. And say, God, one, forgive me. And Lord, help me to be grounded and rooted in you. The God who was willing to come in the flesh, who was willing to give his life that for anyone who would call on his name would be saved. He didn't just stay dead after the crucifixion. He rose from the grave and he gives life to us. We can be grounded and rooted in him. Communion is a good time for us to reflect on that. You'll notice a few things at Friendship Church. One of those is you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church to participate in communion, but we do ask that you are uh, a member of Christ's body. In other words, you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, if you don't know what that means, please come and talk to me, one of the elders, one of the staff members. We would love to have that conversation with you. Absolutely, please. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Sometimes we use... Uh, uh, vocabulary that is a little different or perhaps even new to you, we, we want to help you to understand it. So please come and have that conversation with us. Communion is for the believer. Additionally, we ask you to take a few moments to examine your heart. And as the Lord reveals things, that we would confess it and repent and turn to him. Also, that as you go to the area nearest you, uh, the the station nearest you that you get both the bread and the cup and return to your seat and as you return to your seat at the end of the next song we'll participate together let's pray lord we love you we need you we thank you lord for your ideal how you want us you want us to love you with everything we have you want us to love our neighbors as ourself the way that you have loved us Lord, thank you. We also confess there have been times in our lives where we have been the negative example, where our eyes and our decision-making was so focused on this world that we missed blessings that you had for us and for others. So, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you forgive us for holding back? I'm not, just, I'm not talking about finances but in our time and in our treasure where we have reserved resources for other things that are just of this world that are going to die. They're going to go away. They'll wither away. But you are everlasting. And so, Lord, as we are in this world, would you give us an ability to walk in these places and spaces in a way that would give you honor and glory that would be redemptive, that would be like this widow who gave everything. Would you help us to give everything despite what's going on in the world around us? 
Would we be found planted and rooted in you receiving this love that surpasses knowledge that we can't fully grasp intellectually but have to experience in you? Lord, would you, would you let that happen even today? We love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.